Cranborg's Marionettes by Lola Ridge from the January eleventh, nineteen nineteen edition of the Dial. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. Whitman and not Poe was the true pioneer of american poetry poe filled narrow unpliant forms with a wild fantastic supple life he played freely within circumscribed boundaries because boundaries did not constrict him he was the kind of bird that sings most sweetly in a cage but whitman's was a grandly nihilistic gesture he assailed the whole bastille of form and brought it tumbling about his own ears he was a liberator of rhythms as nietzsche was of ethics and at that he achieved no modern miracle his was the world-old revolt of life weary of constraining her mighty rhythms in piano tunes wholly a democrat he was concerned only with the broad and common currents of existence whatever surrounded and included the life of crowds and like most democrats he was unaware of nuances but in a literary sense his service to america equaled that of washington and the co-fathers of the revolution like theirs his declaration of independence sounded a barbaric yawp over the roofs of the world and though we may smile tolerantly at the clumsy ways of a pioneer and clear away his good rank grasses it is over his unrailed clearing rather than along the slender trail of poe that the truly american poets will pass to their own he has made it easier for men so unlike as frost and sandberg and boldenheim and masters to grow and push out horizons even vachel lindsay would not have had space enough for his adorable ragtime if whitman's breath had not blown over the stucco palaces and rose gardens and high english hedges and left a great clear space like a prairie for free rhythms to gallop in but of all the poets that are now travailing out of this large incoherence that is america cramborg is most strangely and poignantly alone whether like some elfin hamlet folded in an ironic smile as in a cloak or gazing out of his own mushrooms solemn-eyed gnome-like with naively interested eyes on an unrelated world he seems to have no artistic roots this is apparent even in mushrooms for never since the great walt scattered his leaves over an offended continent has there been a poetic firstling that has shown so few influences its method then tentative uncertain seemed a seed blown from nowhere now we feel its upward growth in these plays for poem mimes in which common words made taut like strings seem to have acquired a new and silvery timbre cramborg seems to melt life as in a crucible and pour it into these quaintly human marionettes from whom it perpetually burns over except for manikin and minikin who probably flouted their begetter's plan by announcing themselves as full-blown egos 
one can imagine these little dramas being staged in souls and played by the people who live in people so eerily intimate are they all six plays have a musical structure deftly surely with his sensitive musician's fingers kreimborg touches those tenuous quivering threads that radiate beneath the compact surface of life first he makes a silence a silence of wheels and cranes and a silence of subways and barrel organs even a silence of feet stamping upon gallery floors and you who would watch his swaying motifs in their rhythmic dances and listen to their subtle music must pass through this luminous silence that surrounds them like an aura but if you would enjoy the full lustre of each silvery dissonance you must hush those two clamorous memories of broadway and the blind white scream of spotlights for kreimborg sweeps away all ready-made gestures and all unnecessary noises he deals direct with life and life needs silence to be heard when the curtain rises on mannequin and minikin a bisque play we see only a mantel shelf and a huge clock ticking away eternity between two aristocratic bisque figures a boy in cerise and a girl in cornflower blue the servant girl whom we never see but of whose nearness we are always aware has turned them away from each other so that they see only the everlasting armchair the everlasting tiger-skin the everlasting yellow green and purple books and into these two inanimates who recall their childhood in the english museum kreimborg has poured a full sweet tide of life we do not think of them as puppets but as living essences gestures of surrounded beauty captured like two bright birds and held static in time minikin asking who made me what i am who dreamed me in motionless clay or voicing her jealousy of the servant minikin who does not know how old she is is as perfect of her kind as any of the great characters of literature manikin says in his sad wise philosophy the life of an animate is a procession of deaths with but a secret sorrowing candle guttering lower and lower on the path to the grave the life of an inanimate is as serenely enduring as all still things are and i feel this little play to be of such stuff as will prove to be serenely enduring unlike some of cranbrook's other work it has no loose repetitions straying like uncared-for children and no frayed ends the whole is correlated into a perfect form a lesser artist might have made a catastrophic finale by letting the servant girl shatter the great happy centuries ahead by sweeping minikin from the everlasting shelf as it is the play leaves off on the progressive chord only the mellow chimes of the clock striking the hour round the silence like the last touch on a jewel of the comedies lima beans a scherzo play with a dainty allegro movement is a prolonged ripple of quaintly satirical laughter in which kreimborg delicately whimsically as some supernaturally wise gnome mocks at life with her own symbols jack's house a cubic play is not so easily disposed of 
it has a way of leaving one's conception of it swinging foolishly like an empty cage at first one follows pleasantly the miming of its two figures and smiles at jack's expectations of his doll wife who is hardly more than a delicious pout and what has a pout to do with home-making later this little oblique satire on the american home acts as an emotional irritant there is something vaguely chilling about an atmosphere where two black pillows on our green couch are the make-believe children besides the poet's thought has a trick of whisking into ambush and out again tagging and dancing away making impish mouths one leaves it with a sense of futility and of being wounded uselessly and of feeling bits of severed life fumbling for each other and yet for those of us who have seen jack's house produced by the other players and listened to the wistfully importunate accompaniment of julian friedman's music this parody of a home will rock in our memory no matter what we grow to in blue and green a shadow play love avid morbidly aware eternally touching and swaying apart is again the dominant motif the two figures talking in silvery monotones while fragments of their lives dance a shadow dance against the blue california sky compare their dissonances with an exquisite and intimate clarity flowing through each other's consciousness like two streams of faintly iridescent water if a man and woman could so commune through their mortal opacity then these two might be any man and any woman who had tried to mould the other to his own image only to find the image mean commonplace bitterly familiar a sight to be effaced with the first recognition this thought of our multiple spiritual recreations of each other finds constant expression in cranbourg's work the old figure in when the willow nods says of the girl your least sly look recreates folk to your image and it is the main theme of people who die in this lonely dream play love has almost ceased to importune her dead children and the two figures are as shells that we hold to our ear and through which we hear the roaring backwash of life it seems in a sense to be a sequel to blue and green penetrating even deeper than the latter into inner sacristics as dramatic structures these two plays are the weakest in the group perhaps they are spiritual records done at a too close perspective to be expressed in conscious terms of art but in order to assume any dramatic or even any permanent literary value they would have to be recast and all those groping segments constrained into some definite form as it is they are as good wine that has been spilled on the ground instead of poured into clear-cut goblets the book is at once a challenge and a stimulus it reminds us that the artist's interpretation of life must be more than a record of action or a corroboration of registered emotions kipling achieved these brilliantly and reached his period before thirty our individual reactions to the tangible beat in ever-dwindling vibrations the exploration 
of the intangible is the one inexhaustible adventure blows gifts kisses wine stars winds sun the time comes to every artist when he has answered even these and when the raised invisible signs by which our mute souls quibble to each other need to be re-energized by the impetus of some new discovery and it is this spirit of discovery this getting out and making a clearing instead of huddling in mental tenements that is cranborg's great significance in one almost painfully clutching gesture that of musically monotonous repetitions he resembles maeterlinck but he has none of the great belgian's fear of personal extinction his spiritual attitude is serenely robust and his regret is never for people who die but for the people who die in people those fragile and lovely images the ego fashions of its beloved whether we like him or not it will soon be obligatory to recognize cranborg as an impelling force in the new american drama in discarding old forms he has merely thrown away what to him are worn-out swaddlings no longer holy enough or spacious enough to contain the living growing essence his aim is to make life face itself anew by the aid of new symbols life never to be persuaded or reconciled by its own bitterly familiar image end of cranborg's marionettes by lola ridge